Good morning, everyone. Glad that you're here. I'm grateful for the opportunity to be together, to share in His Word, to worship together, um, and to spend this time and respond to Him in worship, in obedience, in repentance, in more belief, and however God would lead us to respond. Our mission at New Horizons is to bring glory to God by loving Him the most, by loving each other as Jesus has loved us, and by making disciples of all nations. Our vision uh, is that we have a clear pathway for people to grow in those areas. And we believe it includes worship. We believe it includes being in a group where you're loved and cared for and known. We believe it includes in being in a group where you're known and held accountable and then having a place to serve. Our values at New Horizon are grace and truth and growth. And we'll look at two of those values today and why they are that. The title of today's message continues to be the message that we're going to be on for since January and as we'll continue, uh, I guess actually since February, and we'll continue through the summer. Jesus is worth it because Jesus is better. Hebrews 4, 12 and 13. Last week, we had our second warning in the book of Hebrews. Remember in the book of Hebrews, there are six warnings. Last week, we had our second warning. Do not harden your heart as those who fell in the wilderness. It would have been okay. It would have been okay for us that warning. It would not have been heavy. And it would have been okay if the truth was if we hadn't looked so much like those who fell in the wilderness. If we could have said that we're nothing like them. If we could have said we never complain. If we could have said we never put God to the test. If we could have said we never have affections for anyone or anything other than God. If we could have said that we never presume on His goodness. If we could have said we always obey everything He says. If we could have said we always believe Him and take Him at His word. But since we are like Him, because we all come from Adam, it caused us to say, God, keep me. Don't let my heart get hard. And He gave us four ways to soften our heart last week. Fear. May we fear. And I'm be honest with you this morning, as I always am, I'm going to quit saying the word honest, because then you may think that I lie to you at other times. <laughs> I'm going to start using the word open. I'm going to be open with you that I listened to a sermon uh, about Jonah on Friday night that really applies to today, but the reality is, is that Jonah had faith in God, but Jonah did not fear God. He was very adamant, I ain't going, I don't care what you do. So I've been searching my own heart, my own life, since last week's message and Friday night, asking myself this question. Chris, do you fear God? Do you really fear Him? Honor, revere or do you just live life as if everything's just fine? 
So I'm really searching my own heart in that area. It was faith. And and this is a good thing about getting to preach each week. Last week I told you that faith was like us grabbing a hold of a lifeline. But the reality is I want to even change that statement. I don't even like that statement because I don't think faith is anything that you and I do. But it's what we have received. We receive it. And then it was to strive, and it seems differently to strive, but what you're striving for is in the relationship with Christ and exhort one another. We have to exhort one another to, to love and to do good works. Why? Because you and I drift automatically toward holding grudges and being mad at each other. If we're not encouraged on a regular basis to forgive and love people, we just automatically go the opposite direction. If we're not encouraged and, and, lo- and, and, and encouraged and exhorted to do good works and to be a part of good things, we'll spend all of our time on ourselves and for ourselves. We just naturally go that way. It's just our bent. It's our flesh that we battle with. It's a struggle. So in verses 12 and 13 of chapter 4, For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and of the spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from His sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of Him to whom we must give account. The Word of God in our life, but before we begin looking at these two verses that you all have read, memorized, and meditated on all week, why are you laughing? Why is that funny? I know why. I know. Okay. But, but, but as you spent that time thinking about that, before we go there, I want us to ask a question. Why is it that we put such an emphasis on the Word of God? Why is it that we proclaim? Why is it that we gather to hear it? Why is it that we gather to read it? Why is it that we gather? And, 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 and before we gather, why do we study it? Why do we memorize it? Why do we meditate on it? Why do we apply it? Why? Why is all of this about the Word of God? Well, I want to try to answer part of that, taking us down a road of looking at some passages about the Word of God and then coming back to Hebrews chapter 12. So you can turn with me in your scriptures or you can follow along with me on the screen. 2 Timothy 4.2, all of these are from the ESV version. Let's look at, this is the last chapter of the last book or the last letter that Paul would write before he died. So when we always think about, okay, if we're coming to the end of something, we're coming to the end. If somebody's coming to the end of life, I don't know, YouTube has blown up with all this stuff and I've watched all of them and by the time I've watched all of them, what I've realized is, that they're all liars, that they, none of them were in the room with Charles Stanley before he passed away. But there's a thousand YouTube videos about what did Charles say before he died, you know. 
because it matters when then you click on them and it's something he said five years ago. It's something he said ten years ago. Makes me so mad. It's all about, and every time I click, they make money. It makes me even madder. Okay? But the point is what? The point is, is that when someone we, spread, we, we respect, somebody that we love, somebody that, that we feel like, man, they've preached the word for 51 years. They've been faithful to it. They've been there and done that. And when we watch down and we go down that road, we think, what was on their mind before they died, before they passed away? What was it? And the reality is what? This is Paul's last words, some of his last words before he knew he'd be killed by the Romans. And this is what he says to Timothy. Preach the word. Be ready in season. It's to proclaim the truth. It is to proclaim truth. It is to proclaim the gospel. Be ready in season, out of season, it's to be, be urgent and prepared. It is to reprove, it is to correct wrong doctrine and wrong behavior. Rebuke is to call one to repentance from sin. And exhort is what we talked about earlier, to exhort one another to good works and to love. Well, what's the last part of this verse though? With complete patience. And teaching. You see, this is the deal. Is He said, be faithful. Just keep teaching. Just keep teaching. Just keep teaching. But just because you've taught it one time doesn't mean everybody's going to get it. You know how many times I read something? It takes me a thousand times to read it before I ever get it. Be patient. We're talking about the Word of God. Look at, look at 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. In the same letter, but at the beginning of the letter, Paul writes this. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Watch this, guys. This is so important. Don't miss this. Paul is teaching Timothy Timothy being instructed to teach faithful men. Faithful men being instructed to teach others. What's the reason for this? That's the way the gospel and that's the way the teaching of this book has been. Teach one who teaches another, teaches another, who teaches another. And this is why Peter would warn us, be careful of any new doctrine. You see, I think there's something within us that gravitates towards something that's new. Let's go towards something that's new. Peter's cautious about something that's new. He said, because what we're teaching should be the same thing from generation to generation to generation to generation that it continues to be carried on all the way to now. So one of the ways that we interpret Scripture is not only by reading and understanding what the Scripture says, but we're asking what our church fathers believed and taught about that. Because sometimes there's a new doctrine comes on a scene that's not good. But you and I like what? 
new stuff. We like the latest phone. We like the latest car. We like the newest house. And we like the new stuff. And so therefore, why wouldn't we be drawn to a new ideal about Scripture? Just because it's new doesn't mean it's better. Just because it's new doesn't mean it's truth. Got to walk with it. Oh, look at Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Will you look at this scripture with me? This is a part of our mission, our great commission. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Everything, Jesus said, it's all of it's been given to me. Therefore, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Watch what Jesus says now. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. What are we teaching? A new thing? A new ideal? A new? No, we're teaching exactly what Jesus taught them. It's been taught to Paul and then Paul to Timothy and Timothy to faithful men and faithful men to others. And we continue to teach it. It's the Word of God. Look with me back at 2 Timothy chapter 3. I'll bear this out a little closer about what it is. All Scripture is breathed out by God. All of it. All Scripture is breathed out by God. All Scripture is, is what God has spoken. It's what God has said. Moved on men with the Holy Spirit. And it was pinned down for us. Look at it. Breathed out by God. Profitable. Profitable for what? For teaching. For instruction. For correcting. For right doctrine. For right behavior. For reproof. It's the ideal again of what? It's the ideal also of of calling one to repentance from a certain sin. For correction. Getting back on track. Coming back to where you belong. And for training in righteousness. Listen, we're not being trained. Listen, we're being trained for the kingdom of heaven as citizens in the kingdom of heaven who live in a world that we don't belong to. We're not being trained to live in this world. We're being trained to live in heaven. But we're trained to live how to live in this world by trained to live in the kingdom of heaven. For the kingdom of righteousness sake. Verse 17. That the man of God or the man of woman may be complete. And equipped for every good work. What is it? The word of God. Is what equips us and completes us. For every good work. Look at 2 Corinthians 4. Just continue to travel with me down this road. I'm just building this today. Why do we proclaim? Why do we listen? Why do we read? Why do we study? Why do we memorize? Why do we meditate? Why do we apply? Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. Continue. But we have renounced, watch this right here, 
But we have renounced disgraceful and underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's Word. Somebody better just look at this. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. There's a heaviness, a realness for the Word of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. For in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. Please take note of that. The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. Now watch verse 5. For what we proclaim is what? Not who. There is no power in our story. There is no power in our story. Can I say that one more time? Our story gives encouragement to people. Our story does that. But look, it's not our story. We're not preaching ourselves. But we're preaching ourselves as servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let, sh let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The whole idea is that we continue to proclaim this gospel. We continue to preach this gospel. Why? Because the eyes of the lost are blinded by the God of this world. And as we preach the gospel to stay true to the word of God, then the eyes can be open and they can see the glory of God who is Jesus Christ. So we continue to proclaim this good news. Him, His word. Look at John 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. And the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory. The glory as of the only Son of the Father. Full of what? Grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Word that was in the beginning. So the Word of God is what? It was Jesus. This is Jesus. This is Jesus through and through. This is about Him. This is Him. He's living. He's alive. This is Him. It's Jesus. Now, as we think about the Word of God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and lived among us, 
We beheld His glory. We need to understand that every line, God really worked in my heart, every line of this book is Jesus Christ. Every line. When God killed the animal and clothed Adam and Eve in the book of Genesis, it was a sign that pointed to Jesus. When Abel offered the right sacrifice, it was a sign that pointed to Jesus. When Noah built an ark that saved him and his family, it was a sign that pointed to Jesus. When Abraham left his home and went to a land he didn't know where, it was a sign that pointed to Jesus. When Abraham offered Isaac as an offering on an altar and bound him there, it was a sign that pointed to Jesus. When Moses led the children of Israel out of Egypt, it was a sign that pointed to Jesus. The high priest, the sacrificial system, and the temple were all signs that pointed to Jesus. Listen, when Samson tore down the walls of the gates, it was a sign that pointed to Jesus. When Joshua led them into the promised land, it was a sign that pointed to Jesus. When David killed Goliath, it was a sign that pointed to Jesus. And every sign said this, don't stop here. He's not the Savior. It's not the Savior. Keep looking because the Savior's still yet to come. But every one of these, every line of this book is about Jesus and Him being our Savior. Now let me address this. There's a statement that's become popular among Western Christians today. And it's this statement. The first century church reached all the known world without without having the Word of God. A part of that statement It's true. They didn't have it in a book form like this that included the New Testament. What is false about that statement is they were not just preaching what they wanted to preach. They were not just saying what they wanted to say. They had a whole book, and it's the Old Testament, and it was the Septuagint translated into the Greek language that they used. And if you remember when Jesus was walking down the road of Emmaus, He began to talk to those guys about what? He began to reveal Himself through the prophets that started in Moses. You see, when we say that the Old Testament doesn't matter, when we unhitch ourselves from it, and and we what we're saying is that the Word of God really doesn't matter and we don't really need the Word of God because what we really want to do is what we want to do and we want to choose what's spiritual and we want to choose what's not spiritual and we want to do our own thing so that we don't have the authority of the Word of God in our life and we end up like the book of Judges where there was no authority in that place and every person did what was right in their own eyes. That's where we end up. But we don't unhitch. We don't stop. Because every line is about Jesus. From beginning all the way to the end, every line is about Jesus.
Okay. Everybody with me? Everybody with me? Because every time we attack the Word of God in a way that we make it less or less important, what we do is we begin to become our own authority and our own king. And when you and I are our own authority and our own king, we're in trouble. It's not going to end up well. We need a king, and we have one, and his name is Jesus. As we make it a habit to listen and read and study and memorize and meditate and apply and proclaim the word, which is Jesus, which is the glory of God, this increases our relationship It sets our doctrines right. It brings repentance in our life. And it trains us for kingdom life. This brings us back to the book of Hebrews where we are learning that Jesus is worthy because He's better. And the Word of God keeps our hearts soft and from getting hard. Look back at Hebrews again. Chapter 4, verse 12. For the Word of God, for the Word of God, what we've been talking about in this Scripture, for the Word of God is living. Would you, can we, what does it mean when it says the Word of God is living? As we're listening, as we're reading, as we're studying, as we're meditating, as we're applying to our lives, the words not of someone who is dead, but we're listening about someone who is living and has always been alive and will always be alive. The word is living, which means you and I get to be in an intimate relationship with somebody who is alive. We get to read this scripture. We get to know Him. We're not reading about somebody that's dead and doesn't matter. We're reading about someone who's not only alive, but is sovereign and in control. And we're in relationship with them. He is living. And as we live in this relationship with His Word, we're comforted when we are sad. We are taught when we do not understand. We are given joy when we are sorrowful. We're given hope when we do not see hope. The Word is living. Look at the next part of this verse. The Word of God is living and active. The Word of God is living and active. Your your translation may say powerful. The ideal is about energy. It's happening. Listen, He is working in our lives. As we are engaging in the Word of God, as we're hearing it, as we're letting it fall, He is working in our lives. He's changing who we are. Remember, what's the warning we're battling? The hardness of heart. The deceitfulness, the unbelief, the disobedience to go away, the straying away. So we're battling the hardness of heart, resentment and rejection. We're battling those things. And he says the Word of God is active in your life doing those very things. 
See, he is working, he is changing, he is building, he is convicting, he is encouraging, he is exposing, he is rebuking, he is giving light and wisdom for our steps. The Word is powerful and active. May we swim in this book. May we spend time in this book and let it wash over us for every situation in my life. As I begin to ask God Friday night, God, do I fear you the way you want me to? God, show that to me. Wash over me, Father. Wash over me. Speak, Lord. Speak to me. But then look at the next part. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing. And I just want to stop right there. Piercing. The ideal, guys, is not a sword this big. But it's a knife this big. And the knife was used in close combat. Hand-to-hand combat. Both people have an armor on. But they would have known how to use that knife in such a way that they could have precisely gotten through or around the armor of their enemy so that they could have won the victory with a single staff. See, the fact of the matter is, is when we place ourselves before the Word of God, James says the Word of God is a mirror. That reveals to us who we are and what we are. What, what the writer of Hebrews is saying is that the Word of God is a surgeon. And He lays us naked on a table before Him. And He looks into us deeply. And He says, this needs to be corrected. And this needs to be worked on. And this needs to be changed in your life. And with precision, He begins to cut deep into our lives. And piercing into our lives. That He changes our hardness of heart to a softness of heart. And He changes wrong thinking to right thinking. And He Ross changes stinking thinking to good thinking. He changes our actions and our motives and our reasons by him taking out what's wrong and implanting in us his word that changes everything about us. It's the piercing, it's the word of God letting it speak and share in our lives. After all, if Jesus is the Word and He's the great physician, He's doing surgery on us. Let me share with you about Noah and about Jonah, not Noah, Jonah. And and then I want us to do something together. God had a prophet and his name was Jonah. And God called that prophet to go and preach to a city that he did not like. A people he couldn't stand. And Jonah said, I'm not doing that. I'm not going. And he went and he got on a boat. And he left to go away from where that city was. 
Had God had a meeting with the prophets, the prophets would have said, we don't have time to wait on Jonah to get things right. We must move on to somebody else. If God had had a meeting with the prophets, the prophets would have said, I'll go do it, Lord. Somebody had said, I'll go do it, Lord. But God didn't have a meeting with the prophets like that. That didn't happen because God doesn't do that. God doesn't need mine and your advice. But watch this. But God didn't say, okay, Jonah, you go do what you want to do. I'll let somebody else do it. No. You see, Jonah's heart was as important to God as that whole city of Nineveh. Can I tell you this morning that your heart is as important to God as this whole world. And God, with His Word, is doing a living, active, piercing work in your individual heart. I think the greatest issue that you and I have is that I can use Josh because me and him are very close and it doesn't matter. I'll look at Josh and say, Josh, I think you need to do this and you need to do that and you need to do this. And God and his word are saying, Chris, I think you need to stay out of it because I'm doing work in his heart that you've never seen or don't know about. It's always easy for us to tell God what, they, what He ought to do in somebody else's life. When God is doing it, piercing, living, and active in their life. So I took the Psalm 119. And for those of you don't, that don't know, um, let me just go ahead and scare you, Okay. There's 176 verses in Psalm 119, by the way. It's the longest chapter in the Bible, and it's the, it's the chapter that's in the middle of the Bible. But every verse speaks about the Word of God. Sometimes it says command, sometimes it says precept, sometimes it says law, sometimes it says your Word. But every single verse speaks of the Word. I didn't use every verse. I just used 174. No, not really. But what I did is I divided this chapter into three things. The first ones are kind of like prayers for us concerning God's Word that the psalmist prayed. The second section is truths about the Word of God that the psalmist wrote about. And the last section is I statements that say, I will do this with the Word of God. And what I want us to do, I've got these divided now, they'll be on the screen. I'd like us to read them together aloud. And let them wash over us. Now listen, if you're going to try to write all these, you OCD people, I promise you can get my notes from the office and you don't have to write all these. You can just let them flow over you because we're just going to write and not talk. We're going to talk. We're going to read and not talk, okay? Can we begin? Your word hidden in my heart keeps me from sinning. 
Teach me your word. Do not hide your word from me. If we wander from your word, we will be cursed. Help me to understand the meaning of your word. Make me walk along the path of your word. Give me an eagerness for your word. Give me life through your word. Give me sense to follow your word. If a young man will keep himself pure, he will do it according to your word. Your word pleases me. It gives me good advice. Your word encourages me. It's a privilege to know your word. Your word is my only hope. Your word revives me. It comforts me in all my trouble. Your word is the theme of my songs. Suffering has taught me to pay attention to your word. Your word is more valuable than millions in silver and gold. Your word is eternal and it stands firm in heaven. If your word did not sustain me with joy, I would have died in misery. Your word is sweeter than honey. Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light to my path. Your word is wonderful. Now these are the I statements. Or are we there? No, we're not there yet. The teaching of your word gives light. Your word is perfect and completely trustworthy. My heart trembles at your word. Now the I statements. If you've not joined in saying, join us now. Don't lose this opportunity. Listen to what the writer of Psalms, these are the I statements he makes. I will obey your word. I will have rejoiced in your word like riches. I will study your word. I will delight in your word. I desire your word. I will meditate on your word. I have determined to live by your word. I cling to your word. I will pursue your word. I long to obey your word. I trust in your word. I will keep on obeying your word forever and ever. I have devoted myself to your word. I will speak of your word and not be ashamed. I honor and love your word. I will hurry without delay to obey your word. I am firmly anchored in your word. I believe in your word. I will concentrate my mind. I will concentrate on your word. Sorry, I'm reading into it. I will never forget your word. I will quietly keep my mind on your word. I stand in awe of your word. And then this last one. Ready? Those who love your word have great peace and do not stumble. Wow. Psalm 119. Father, may we never... Father, when I think about the amount... Father, may we just be true to your word. 
May we honor your word. May we allow your word to do the work in our hearts that it needs to do. And may we treat the word as the psalmist did when he wrote Psalm 19. Father, I love you. And I thank you for what your word does in my heart. And I pray that all of us experience that same experience with a word in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Worship team, if you'll come at this time. Listen, I don't know where you're at. and I don't know, maybe you are here for various reasons. And I'm not going to try to go down a list and think what I want you to think about this morning as we always do at New Horizon. How did God speak to me this morning? How did God speak to me this morning? And how am I going to respond to how He spoke to me? In this reflection time, let's worship.
That is who you are. 
worship you. I worship you. You are here working in this place. I worship you. I worship you. And you are waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God. That is who you are. Oh, waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God. That is who you are. 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 darkness, my God, that is who you are, and you are a way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are, that is who you are, that is who you are, that is who you are. take communion together today remember the gospel is this for those of you that don't think you need it you think you're good let me remind you that Jesus died for you this morning for those of you that don't think you deserve it that you're not worthy of it Jesus died for you this morning and when we take communion together, there's two things that we well, there's many things we ought to evaluate self, but the two things that are being important for our evaluations before communion is, is my heart view God is worthy this morning? And does my heart view those that are next to me and in front of me and back at my house and somewhere else also is worthy this morning? See, it's both vertically and horizontally. Am I honoring God and am I honoring others? See, that's what Christ did. So on the night that He was betrayed, He took the bread and He broke it. That's you and I breaking it. And he blessed it and he said, Take and eat, for this is my body.
Well, then he took the cup. And he blessed it and he said, Take and drink, for this is the blood of a new covenant. A new covenant. It's here for us. Take and drink. Let's worship in this last song.
how good he is, right? Boy, I'll just ask you to go. Romans 12 calls us to be spiritual sacrifices, living sacrifices. Maybe what he's asking us to do is to lay ourselves on the surgeon table and let the great physician, the Word of God, exchange our hard hearts for a soft heart that we don't miss Him. Let the Word of God do surgery on you time and time and time again. Guys, I love you. I hope you have a good day. All right, bro. I've been hey, was